When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Robert Hilburn, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Have a great day. Is there a library, a bookstore around here where I could book some rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. Have you read this one? Yes. This is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Hello, diggers. It is the rock and roll archaeologist, yes, Christian Swain. And with me is the magnificent, wonderful superhero librarian of San Francisco, yes, Shelly Sorensen. Superhero? Yeah, I've upgraded you this way. Yeah, last time I was exquisite. Uh, do you do you prefer exquisite over superhero? I'm not sure. I like superhero. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Ne- oh, well, next time bring a cape. <laughs> I guess so. So yeah. how you doing, Shelly? I'm doing good. I've got this, um, I got to tell everybody, I got this funny screen in front oh. of my microphone that looks like a big lollipop. Well, so I think you're this- pulling the curtain back more than, than we'd like, but sure. Uh, it's, it's called but- a pop filter yeah just try to envision me with this big lollipop yeah. in front of my face yes well that we just we're just trying to make you sound even better than you already have oh my goodness yeah. is that possible <laughs> we'll see yeah. we'll see we'll see what everybody says all right all right all right so what do we have in store for everyone this well, episode? We have a book about one of my dearest, favoritest musicians, Mr. Tom Petty. Oh, yes. I have a very soft spot in my heart for this guy. Well, I think we all do after uh, his passing, untimely passing last uh, last year. Yes, but he he's one of only two people I've ever written a fan letter to. Oh, really? Who's yes. the other? Uh, Nick Lowe, of course. Oh, yes, yeah. of course. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. In, in my fan letter to Tom, though, I told him that um, if he came over to my house, I would make him pancakes for breakfast. Really? Yeah. And, and when did you send this fan letter? I, it was sometime in the 90s. You know, I was a full-grown, you know, responsible person. Really? <laughs> and you thought pancakes was the 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 honey... Yeah. Uh, to the fly. That, yeah, uh, okay, I, I okay. also told him that if he ever needed a bass player or a backup singer, that I would be happy to uh, fill in, which oh. was hysterical. Uh, really, I take it he 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 did not take he, you up. on He that didn't order. get back to me. I don't know you, why. You didn't even get like a signed eight by ten glossy or uh, you know a CD in the mail or no. a T-shirt or anything. For, no, I'm owed. Thanks for your thanks for your efforts, but thanks uh, for your thanks for your stupid letter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, tell us about the book. Well, it's a it's really um, interesting. Uh, called Petty, the biography, mm-hmm. and it's written by, by Warren Zanes. Oh, yeah, a musician in, himself. Uh, few uh, year, couple of years before Tom Petty passed away, and um, he actually had Tom's um, permission to write the book. Though Tom said, uh, "Don't." 
it's not authorized because authorized biographies are always bullshit. So, but he did give him a lot of access to Tom and said that he would, um, and Tom said that he would arrange for contacts for interviews with other people um, that were in Tom's life, mm-hmm. including many of the Heartbreakers and um, Stevie Nicks, his daughter Adria, and his wife Dana. And uh, members that are pretty also, authorizing to me. Yeah, and members of Mud Crutch mm-hmm. and also Olivia Harrison. Okay. So, yeah, he had a very insider track on this. Now, Warren Zanes was in a band called the Del Fuegos yes, at was. one time, mm-hmm. and that's how they crossed paths. They, beca- they became friendly, you know, in the music scene. Yeah, and, yeah. And they, um, Zane's band uh, toured with the Heartbreakers at one time. Well, I'm going to start off with a song and uh, maybe the most recognizable song. Well, that's not true. Maybe one of the most recognizable <laughs> songs and uh, that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers play, and that is Learning to Fly. Well, I started out down a dirty road. Started out all alone, and the sun went down as across the hill, and the town lit up. Oh, yes. Uh, right in that period of time where, uh, you know, the traveling Wilburys are going to show up here uh, at any time. Uh, <laughs> produced, uh, I believe, by Jeff Lynn, uh, a member of the traveling Wilburys. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, what, early 90s, I think. So, uh, But let's start at the beginning, because um, I, I bet the book starts at the beginning, right? It's a very good place to start, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I know, uh, of course, uh, these guys are from Gainesville, Florida. That's right. And uh, um, so so take me to... Take yeah. take me to the south. Take me well, to the Panhandle. Take me take me to the Florida. You know, the never, FLA. I've never been to Florida, but I'll really? try. Oh. I'll try. Yeah. All right. So um, this is something I never knew. Uh, Tom Petty's father, Earl, was uh, born to a Caucasian man and a Cherokee woman. Yeah. So his dad was, you know, half half. Cherokee Indian and half Caucasian and they were very rural um, and Tom feels like his father got out of there as soon as he could and was very uncomfortable with um, with his his family life and wasn't um, you know appreciative of having an Indian mother and felt like that really put him in the crosshairs in society and you know they were kind of rejects in the in the social scene at that time, and so he moved um, to the city and married a, a fair-haired girl who was mm. middle class. And mm-hmm. Tom really feels like his father spent his life trying to pass as white, 
And um, that was kind of like one of his main problems in life was that he really didn't want to, you know, embrace his his heritage. Mm-hmm. They also had a, a not a very good relationship. Tom feels like his father uh, didn't really appreciate who Tom was. He he felt like his father was disappointed in him because he wasn't into the things his father thought a boy should be into, like sports and fishing and hunting and school. Um, he was into more into the arts. And mm, I know, you know that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he thinks his father even thought that he was gay because he was into clothes and having his hair long and stuff like that. But well, he, Tom, grew, he grew up in the 60s, uh, yeah. you know, so, uh, you know, he's a he's a product of that uh, revolution uh, that, you know, kind of started with the Beatles and uh, and went into the hippie movement and all that. So, um, so, you well, know, long hair was yeah, certainly long hair the thing. and, you know, and, uh, you know, fashionable uh, clothing and all that. That's that's just, you know, all the all the kids did that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time his dad took a belt to him he was about five years old so he was you know somewhat he was an abusive father and uh, you know just kind of took the belt to his sons whenever they didn't behave and mm. um but tom you know of course was really into girls but he would never have brought a girl home to meet his father so that kind of played into this idea that you know him thinking that tom was maybe gay and at some point, his mom uh, was sickly, so she wasn't able, you know, she was a buffer between him and his father for a mm. while. But mm-hmm. after she kind of, she got sick and more, um, you know, weaker, she wasn't able to be that buffer. So uh, Tom tried to get out of out of the home as quickly as he could, but not before he actually met Elvis Presley, Oh, really? Yeah, did you know that? No. Yeah, in 1961, he was um, 11 years old, and he had an uncle who was in show business in a kind of, uh, you know, not, mm-hmm. wasn't a movie producer, but he... So 61, he would have been 11, okay. Yeah, and so he got, he one day came by and said, hey, you want to meet Elvis Presley? He's going to be in town for a... A movie, making a movie, mm-hmm. and um, so Tom went along, and he was just gobsmacked and smitten, and just oh, just. But what what movie was it? It was uh, it was a movie called Follow That Dream. Okay, which I don't recall. I thought I'd seen all of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he made a lot of movies yeah. in the sixties. I think he made like two or three a year. In fact, I think it was like three a year. So uh, uh, obviously, follow that dream meant uh, going to Florida. Yeah, if if Anne Margaret wasn't in it, I wasn't. You know, that, uh, she was my favorite one in movies with him. No, Anne Helm. Yes, well, uh, Anne Margaret actually they wouldn't let her play uh, against him. I think he, she plays in two movies, and she had a little bit too much star power. Yeah, she was very very cool. Right. Yeah. So he he just like he was 
totally starstruck after he saw Elvis and thought, I mean, Elvis kept getting out of a, there was a scene where he had to get out of the white limousine and go into the trailer and Tom, they did it over and over again. And Tom just stood there and watched the whole thing. So that was his first kind of uh, introduction to uh, thinking that he might want to be in that business uh, of playing music. And um, and then living in Gainesville, Florida, that's where the University of Florida was located, and that became oh yeah, a, Florida Gators, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the Gators. I believe so. Is that the sports team? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, and uh, they. Um, so anyway, because it was a university town, and rock and roll was you know get it becoming launched. That was a, a rock and roll golden years, as you have very well you know, just discussed in your, in the big podcasts that we mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it became a really important rock and roll town. In fact, there were, um, many other famous musicians who were. Yeah. Know, uh, kind of, uh, some of the Eagles, I think Bernie Ledden comes from there. Yes. Uh, and, uh, uh Don Felder, I believe is a Gainesville guy too. Yep. And yeah. Dave Mason. And, da- oh yeah. And the Allman brothers. Well, uh, the Allman Brothers are from Georgia. But they played around in... Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, Stephen Stills. That's what I wrote down here. Really? Yeah. I don't know uh, what his history is. But mm-hmm. anyway, he was he was there at that time uh, making music. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after... So when he was a teenager, then he started his first band, which was called The Sundowners. And uh, they played, you know, at school dances and the first song he learned was Wooly Bully mm-hmm. and uh, then they he got into a band named the Epics and they had to do a trial gig and he got to be the front man and everybody said he was all over the stage and he was just jumping around and you know being a real front man kind of person that was just kind of a one off for him at that time but mm-hmm. i think he got the real the feel of what it was like to be in the front of the audience and be the one you know the center of attention and uh, so he met uh tom Ledden, is that how you say that name? Yeah, Ledden, yeah. Bernie Ledden. So Tom, oh, Tom, so, oh Ber- Bernie Ledden's brother. Yeah, Tom was Bernie Ledden's brother, mm-hmm. and they, um, you know, they were really into it, and they started trying to, you know, hone their harmony skills and you know their vocal harmonies because they knew that that was the piece that would kind of make them rise above above the other uh, amateur bands uh, in that era Mm -hmm. and uh and then they that band in 1969 they started calling themselves mud crutch oh yes and they changed all the other names i don't know what you're talking about right mud crutch i know those guys and it was basically the same members but they they changed their name to mud crutch because the epics were kind of a like an early Beatles suit and tie choreographed Uh, dance moves kind Mm -hmm. of name. Mm -hmm. And they were getting more into really, you know, like more psychedelic rock and roll and cream and Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix and stuff. So they decided to change the name and change their look, grow their hair long and, and, uh, you know, and go out and show everybody 
Uh, well, now now we're done. getting into the seventies uh, and all of that. So uh, let's see. I, I think we should maybe start with an early Mud Crutch song, huh? Yep. How about? Um, well, they didn't actually record any songs until they came. They uh, started making demos to send out, and first they had to assemble the band. They added Randall Marsh and Mike Campbell. Who came to them? Oh, yeah. um, that oh, well, was a very, very important that's very move. Right, right. And then Ben Montench, who yeah, was a little bit, yeah, a little right. bit more upper class. He was in a judge. He was a judge's son. Mm-hmm. And then um, Danny Roberts, and they, and they uh, lived. I think it was Mike Campbell and Randall Marsh who lived in a, a farmhouse, and they called that Mud Crutch Farm, and they started having festivals there. So they were really honing their skills. Right. Um, and in 1973, they um, started making some demos, which they recorded in Benmont's living room and started sending them out. And, and at that time, uh, they got some interest from Playboy Records and went on a foray to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And while they were moving to L.A., they stopped at Shelter Records and did some recording and met Denny Cordell and Leon Russell. So that's kind of at the point at which one of their first demo tapes, or the only single that came out of that recording session, was something was a song called Depot Street, which... Um, you can find on YouTube, but it had a reggae flavor. And that was, you know, reggae was popular at the time. And so maybe that's the reason they chose that to be the only single that came out. Well, let's uh, listen to a little of uh, early Tom Petty, uh, pre-Heartbreakers, or, well, most of the Heartbreakers come from Mud Crutch. So uh, this is Mud Crutch's uh, Depot Street. Yeah, man, that's some good mud crutch, yeah. Very reggae. I like it. Very, very interesting. Uh, okay, definitely doesn't sound like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I no. mean, you can hear Tom's voice. It sounds like Tom Petty. Oh, yeah, you yeah. can hear Tom's voice, but, uh, you know. So. And by the way, he played a bass in Mud Crutch. I don't know if people know that. He oh, was, uh, yes, started out right. as a bass that's player. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. the um, singing bass player, huh? Yeah, yeah which yeah, is uh, yeah. not easy. Yeah, yeah. but no. it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there they are. Um, first, you know, in Tulsa, and then in L.A., and um, and then uh, it took so long for them to record, and it just was really frustrating that year. Um, they were trying to put out some. 
you know, record some some songs and get a single and so finally... So they've gone to L.A. at this point, right? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah, and he took his uh, girlfriend, Jane, who he married before he went to L.A., which was mm-hmm. a good thing because she was pregnant oh, good. with their first child. Right. And so he started into the family life very early in a rock and roll star's um, life. Mm. Um, but anyway, but what happened with Shelter... Very John Lennon. Very John Lennon. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shelter dropped them uh, from... The, no surprise after listening to that. Yeah, from the label because they were just taking too long. and But they wanted to keep Tom under contract. So oh, they he figured had to he, tell, was the, he was the genius, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was the songwriter and the, yeah. you know, the interesting yeah. voice. Yeah. And uh, so he had to tell the band that they had to go home. But he insisted on keeping Mike Campbell with him because they had already started really collaborating on a lot of stuff. And, of course, Mike Campbell was very important to the creation of the whole sound of the Heartbreakers. So Mm -hmm. it's a good thing he did keep them. Yes. Keep him there. (laughs) Um, So... Um, there was, uh, but but Leon Russell went back and listened to the demo tapes, and there was one called "Lost in Your Eyes," that is really lovely, and he loved it because it showed Tom's sensitivity and um, you know putting something really personal into a song as a singer, and then uh, Ben Montench's piano playing, which was beautiful. And um, you can actually, that song came out on the latest um, box set that um, his daughter and um, and one of at least Mike Campbell or Ben Montench worked on the on this latest thing that's come out called an American Treasure. Yes. Um, And so they they went back and found all these kind of rarities and put them out on that. So this is one of the songs that came out on that. All right. Let's Um, listen to Lost in Your Eyes uh, by Mud Crutch. I think that's a really beautiful song, and and this is. Uh, well, I think it definitely sounds much more like Tom Petty and like, Heartbreakers. Yeah, so you can, you can kind of feel it coming now. Yeah, he he just didn't. He doesn't push the feeling, you know, of the song. This is the beginning of him and the way he uses his voice, which isn't a really, you know, uh, professionally 
awesome voice with a large range, but he has this no, vulnerability. No, there's a unique and, sound to it, uh, definitely. I mean, nobody sounds like Tom Petty. Yeah, uh, he you mumbles, feel his He emotion. mumbles a little bit, uh, but there's some sort of uh, charming uh, quality to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, I think that becomes more useful to him and it's more developed a, a little bit later on mm-hmm. but um uh you know it's it's a little bit of that southernness to it but not too much mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah I, I can see where the record companies were like going eh, we got we might be able to do something with this guy yeah they they liked him uh he he's he hung around in la for a while um leon russell wanted to write songs with him and he you know, he met all these people. It was really oh, oh yeah, L.A. mid seventies, man. That's a party it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Wilson yeah, and George yeah. Harrison oh, and Jesus, Ringo, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, he was just like just in awe. But mm-hmm. not, nothing much happened. You know, he he ended up kind of you know hanging out, writing music, meeting people, learning about you know recording studios and stuff like that, and then. Um, by Christmas 1975, they wanted um, him to get a band together so he could record some stuff. And Ben Montench in, back in Gainesville was still playing with um, a lot of the guys that were in Mud Crutch. But then they added uh, Stan Lynch on drums. And uh, so he. Here's, bas- here's more of the Heartbreakers. Yeah, yeah. So he basically brought them all out and you know it's like well this is mud crutch but now we're going to call them the heartbreakers and then the <laughs> and then the record company was okay with that so you know he liked the lineup so it was basically the beginning of uh, the heartbreakers were stan lynch on drums mike campbell ben montench and ron blair on bass right yeah and that is the reality yep okay. and their first their first uh, single as tom petty and the heartbreakers was Strangered in the night, but it was actually recorded with session musicians uh, before the band was officially formed. Oh, okay. It included Ben Montench and, and uh, Mike Campbell, but also Jim Gordon played on it. He uh-huh. was with um, Derek and the Dominoes and Delaney and Bonnie. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and this is a cool song. I remember the first time I heard this song, just thinking, this is so different. And just the way he pronounces words, and it just seemed so exotic to me. Well, somehow. Let's, let's let everybody take a listen to Strangered in the Night. And this is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, sort of. That's definitely starting to sound like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. There. Yeah. Uh, even though I know it's some studio cast along with Ben Mont attention and, uh, and Mike Campbell. Um, it's uh, a little I think you scary. Said, you said Jim Gordon's playing playing drums on yeah. there, right? Yeah. Who's played with everybody. Uh, yeah, in- interesting uh, kind of lyrical 
content. Um, it's it's a, it's 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 got some some race metaphors going on uh, that could be misinterpreted, but this is the mid nineteen seventies. So, um, but uh, but yeah, that definitely is starting to sound like the band. Yeah, yeah, and his. He's just kind of, uh, I don't know, he's just so, it's kind of seductive in a, in a way, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, the way, the way he plays and sings. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's quite inviting. Yep. I gotta say, you know, there's all of, like, it's like Elvis Costello. Got you to write a letter to him. Hmm? Got you to write a letter to him. Well, yeah, not till I was an old, older woman, but still, you know that that the people that uh, catch you when you're a teenager stay with you. Oh yeah, forever. Oh, I yeah. think. Yeah. Were you a Petty fan? From, oh yeah, uh, right I mean, away. I, the, he's this. These three first three albums are the soundtrack of my college oh, yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I I saw them apparently at the Cow Palace in 1980 or 81, but. I don't Apparently. quite remember that. Oh. I know my ex-boyfriend told me that. I'm like, what? I we did? I don't why don't I remember that? I'm oh. But anyway, when they became the Heartbreakers at that point, when the band came back out to LA and they started doing contract uh, you know, business, Tom insisted that uh they were a band and all the you know, all the earnings would be split equally. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he was obviously the choice of the label and you know put out as the star um he didn't feel like that he was always from the time he started to the time he died you know really wanted to keep the integrity of the band together that was really important to him and uh you know he and mike both had families out there in la with them at this point and um but they went back into the studio to to uh, put some more, get some more songs onto albums. And they were just, just hacking them out. I mean, they were frenetic and, and urgently, you know, recording in the studio and writing music. So the next one that um, I'd like to play is Breakdown. Um, That's a great song. Yeah, it is. And this one really, you know, really affected me too. I think when I first heard it, I'm like, what yeah, is this happening is the, this is the in the first, this song? Yeah, it's the first <laughs> song I, I, I remember uh, from from Tom and the and the guys. Um, uh, it's, it's you know, it's kind of got a little of that sort of reggae feel to it from that first song that we listened to, uh, Depot Street. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, this is much more professionalized and uh, and subtle. Um, but um, uh, yeah, this is this is a very chill, cool song. Great yeah. song to smoke pot with. Yeah. All right, let's play "Breakdown" by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers.
One one interesting thing about that um, the first album that I remember too is is it didn't sound like anything else that was out there. You know, there was all these like kind of background noises and people chatting and talking and and listening and you know hearing the process of yeah, the recording. Yeah, almost like you're you're in the in the studio with. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was really cool. So they started touring um, the album and got nowhere. Uh, and it got nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> For the in the first three weeks, it only sold six thousand five hundred records. Yeah, and then they went to Europe, and they did really well in Europe. So they got that kind of like star power kind of feeling going. Mm-hmm. And then our friend Robert Hilburn, who wrote the Paul uh, Simon book, who we just talked uh, about in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. and he, he he shows up of, a lot around here. He was kind of, um, you know, lukewarm on it and didn't write a real good review until he saw them live. And then he went and then he redid his review and put out a new review. And then their promo man got them on some radio stations in California. And all of a sudden it it they rode the crest of the wave. And um, I think I think the song was uh, Breakdown was in a movie, too, called FM, uh, you know, most famously with the Steely Dan song being the title uh, cut from that. And the movie didn't do real great either, uh, you know, about an FM radio station. Uh, but uh, but I remember the song was in that, too. That I think that's where I first heard it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of I remember that movie. Yeah, yeah. I might have even seen it. But you know, funny thing was, American Girl was on that album, and it just it didn't even didn't get, go anywhere. Didn't get to the <laughs> top forty. No, that that actually comes up like a couple of years later. After I think um, maybe even as far as Damn the Torpedoes, before all of a sudden that becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a couple of years when you know, which is like. Come on, that's a classic, classic song. How how do people miss that one? Isn't that like one of his most, their most popular? Songs? I think it is the most uh, streamed Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song. Is, yeah, uh, is American Girl, and well, geez, I guess we just have to play that one. Yep. <laughs> All right, folks. Here's American Girl. I'll tell you that is a fun song to play. We play that in my band, and uh, uh, I really enjoy playing that song. And boy, every time it gets it gets a crowd. Oh, every, yeah. every time, everybody loves no, that song. That is a, a no fail uh, on that one. So, all right, where are we going from here? Because uh, now, uh, well, let's see. Breakdown. So this is the the, the first album, uh, right. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, right? And it doesn't do that great. Not until they're. In the middle, I mean, they just started working on their second album. Yeah, you're going to get Then the first one started breaking, and of course the label wanted them to tour behind it, but it's like, well, we're recording an album now, so (laughs) how are we going to do that? But um, what happened was they 
you know, at first when they were touring, they were um, being paired up with kind of unlikely combinations like Kiss. Oh, that's a great band. Well, yeah, Rush. Different. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, they didn't really feel like the the audience was there to see them. Right. But then right. Elvis Costello and Bruce Springsteen and the Talking Heads and Blondie. Yeah, these they, are they all... did. Yeah, they get, they started get lumped into the new wave uh, sort of bands. Yeah, and know? these were yeah. all the bands and the yeah. people that were kind of like didn't fit into another category. You yeah. know, they weren't heavy metal. They weren't, you know... Uh, they weren't Rush and Kiss, that's for sure. And um, no, and those not. are the people that I liked when I was in college. You know, oh, that was when yeah. that hit in the B-52s and yep. Devo. And, yep. and, you know, yeah, they all got lumped into this new wave category. But Which are not really new wave. Uh, they're more Americana in the yeah. in the end when when you get to get to it. But uh, but I, I you know they just came out at that time and they they weren't punk you know because again they they show up also right at that time as well. Right, right, yeah, right. So uh, yeah, got to put them somewhere. Yeah, because that's what uh, record people do. That's right. <laughs> that's what they do. You got to have categories. Yeah. So they go and they record. Yeah, they, uh, they're recording. You're going to get it. Now they have two albums, so that's right. that's good enough to actually get somewhere now. Within short order, and that yeah. one went gold, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. right away. Yeah. Riding on the crest of of all this popularity. So the um, the song I really like off that album is "Listen to Her Heart." Of course, you do. Which. Um, which we do in my band. Oh, and, there uh, you go. Oh, and yeah. um, that they, they, they wanted I to make... I prefer I need to know, but sure. Okay. They wanted to make that the single, but uh-huh. the record label would not do so because they were having an argument over the reference to cocaine. Can you believe that? In, in, this, in this climate, musical climate, you can sing about anything, you know, you can, your song can be about anything you want it to be. Oh, yeah. But in those days... If you oh, mentioned yeah. Yeah, cocaine, well, yeah. that wasn't okay. Well, you you were supposed to kind of like uh, you know use a metaphor and uh, you know uh, double entendre or something uh, to uh, to hide uh, the lyrical content. Yeah, uh, if you will. Well, so, they wanted to know why he couldn't just sing about champagne instead of cocaine. Hey, Tom, that would be an easy fix. They, and Tom said it's not expensive enough. Well, he obviously hasn't. I don't well, think at he, that time, yeah, uh, drank uh, expensive champagne, so which which is readily available, uh, I believe. Yeah. So, um, I ca- I don't know, Tom. I think it probably would have been an easy fix, but uh, um, no, he was a man of his convictions. I think it that had is to the be point, cocaine. The point. Of I mean, your it was story. the eighties. Yes, by well, that time, uh, barely. I think it's late. Yeah, 70s, that's but, true. But still, plenty of cocaine around. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, but you could change it to champagne. Um, you know, uh, similar sil- syllables. Uh, you know, I, I think it would have worked just fine. But hey, good for your convictions. That's why you're the songwriter and I'm not. Yeah. All right, let's listen to. Uh, well, let's listen to. Listen, listen to, to. Listen to. Let's listen to her heart. Listen to her heart.
Oh, that opening hook. Uh, that's such a fucking great song. Yeah. So. I like how they layer things, you know, like they layer th- they yeah. layer the instrumentation yeah. as it and it builds and builds until he starts singing. Yeah, but we're 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 like full in it now. Yeah. Yeah, full on heartbreakers now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. They're about to. That was their uh, second album, and then they're about to go into oh, the big one, making down the down the torpedoes, yeah, which was is, the this, one that this just is, turns them into a superstar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Launched yeah. them. In fact, he got talked by his agent. Um, well, his his agent. I get I get confused about like the manager, the agent, the producer. You know all these things. But anyway, Elliot Roberts, who was a partner with. Tony Demetriatus um, talked him into um, yeah, taking are, a bigger cut. Yeah, you know that yeah. he was really the star. Oh, that, oh uh, yeah. That he was mm-hmm. the artistic kind of heart of the band. And well, that, he was. In that he should get a bigger cut. That he was the leader of the band, and that his voice, not, not just his the sound of his voice, but his message and his. You know, voice and it a bigger. It was all built extent. around Tom. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no two ways about but, that. But that did cause some friction yeah, in the band. Sure. You know, it's yeah. kind of like one for all and all for one, and all of a sudden Tom is saying, "No, I'm going to be the one, and you guys are going to be the all." Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, but they got they got over it and accepted it. You know, they wanted to be in the band more than they wanted, you know, to fight about the money. Um, which was a good call because that was a good band to be in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One of the best bands, one of the best touring bands of all time. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, but at this, about this time, uh, he, Demetriatus, um, helped him break the Shelter Records contract because he had signed away his publishing mm. and you know, they wanted yes, to get that yeah. back for mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. But this put a kind of a wedge between him and Cordell, who had been really his mentor up to this time. And Cordell was, you know, of course, intrinsically uh, connected to Shelter Records. So it kind of put them on, you know, opposite sides of the fight. But but they did that and he got out of it and um, he had to declare bankruptcy to do so. Is that right? Is yeah. that what happened? Yeah. 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 And so um, then they went back into the studio to record the album Damn the Torpedoes. And of course, the biggest, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest um, song on that album is Refugee. They did 70 retakes of that. And the um, producer, Jimmy Iovine, just rode Stan Lynch and didn't like the feeling of his drumming on that song because he was more of a, a con like a touring drummer rather than a recording drummer. And I guess he didn't quite get it right. I can't imagine what he was doing. That was so wrong for 70 times, but um, you know, that that was a, a tense. It's kind of a uh, funky song experience. though. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's uh, refugees kind of a funky song to, yeah. to get the feel right. Uh, so I could see where Ivine was, uh, was insistent on trying to nail that because the whole song really rides on trying to get that feel and it is kind of a weird groove. Yeah. Apparently even, uh, Mike Campbell walked out of the session during, while they were recording that because he just felt like the groove wasn't 
you know, coalescing. Uh-huh. But I think it did finally, don't you? <laughs> well, yes, it did. Because <laughs> it's on the album and yes. it turns out to be a great song. So, yeah. uh, all right, let's listen to uh, a bit of Refugee. Such, uh, it's all a feel uh, with the drums in that opening section. Um, and, and in fact, there's even some pickup beats in it that, uh, you know, the that that he's. I, I see what I why why it was such a hard uh, song to get going. Mm-hmm. You know, once the song gets going, you know, it's kind of a straight time. But but that opening thing with drums is 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 difficult. So that makes sense. That's a that's an interesting story. I'm glad you told that. Yeah. Yeah. And as Stan Lynch, um, of course, had a kind of a fractious relationship with Tom Petty, too. And he was one of the people that Warren Zanes interviewed for this book. And it's interesting to have, you know, it's it. In I know what Tom meant when he said an authorized biography is always bullshit because you don't get those other points of view if it's an authorized biography, right? Mm-hmm. And so they... He wouldn't have had um, Zane's interview Stan Lynch because Stan Lynch was always talking smack about Tom Petty behind his back. So, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. He wasn't happy when he left. Yeah. Well, he wasn't happy a lot of the time he was there either. Right. And uh, kind of, you know, talked about Tom behind his back with Mike Campbell and, you know, always kind of a shit disturber. They just weren't on the same page with their artistic um, kind of vision. But Tom was very loyal and, you know, wanted to keep, he just tried to keep the band together at all costs. Yeah, we've kind of established that about Tom. He tends to be maybe a little too loyal in some respects. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, yeah, wow. So now they are uh, chart-topping uh, superstars. That's right. And, you know, got cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And, uh, you know, people like me really took to Tom. He had this mysterious kind of aura and he had this depth and, you know, you wanted to know more about him. And he he was just a really interesting public character. Um, and they... And people flocked to the concerts, and it was kind of unusual, not so much because of what they heard on the radio, but because they were buying the albums. It was a really um, album-oriented band that people wanted to hear the whole album, and that album in particular, um, kind of following on the heels of the one that came before, there was stuff in between the songs, and there were little vocal things like... Mike Campbell's wife, Marcy, saying, it's just the normal noises 
apparently she was saying he was recording at home and she was uh, monkeying around with the, the dryer that was making a lot of noise and he was trying to tell her to stop making so much noise. And she's like, this is just domestic life, for God's sake. You're trying to be an artist here in this house and I'm trying to do things. So I thought that was a cute story. Yeah. Um, of course... Um, around this time, um, Stevie Nicks came into the picture, and we know Stevie Nicks had a big part in Tom's life and loved the Heartbreakers and really wanted to be a female Heartbreaker. He, she was so, <laughs> even before she met Tom Petty, she wanted to be in the band, oh, wow. even though she was in Fleetwood Mac already. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so something about Tom. I know where we're going now. Yeah, we're going to stop dragging. I wasn't our heart sure about around. the domestic part, but now I know where we're going. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 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 and interestingly enough, okay, so she was Tommy. I mean, she was. Um, and by the I way, something been... about the mystique of. Of Petty, it's it's like this the the self-effacing kind of character that he was. You know, yeah. it was always like, oh man, you know, it's a no big deal. Oh, sh- oh shucks, oh, kind of thing, yeah, yeah, sort of thing. So, yeah, charming, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so Stevie Nicks uh, decides that uh, she wants to be a heartbreaker, yeah. so she's going to kick the door in here, right? Yeah, she? and somehow she became uh, Iovine's girlfriend. Oh, yeah, she did. That's right. Oh, well, there you go. There's that, the connection. Maybe right that there. was her yeah. way of getting in. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> womanly wiles. Yeah, maybe. Um, but he didn't want to in- introduce her to Tom at first because he didn't want Tom to think, you know, that he was you know, involved in producing her and that his all of his focus wasn't on Petty. Yeah, because she's about ready to do a solo album here. Yeah, she was She was yeah. um, doing Belladonna. Yeah, Belladonna, the first one. Right, yeah, right, right. and um, so, but eventually they did meet and they, um, he wrote a song for her called Insider and then he liked it so much he decided to take it back. <laughs> nope, mine's song. And and actually um, one side note here is that Stevie and his wife Jane became very good friends too. Oh, she is time. really working it. Yeah. Mm. And actually they were cocaine buddies speaking of cocaine. <laughs> and um but she was a trusted, you know, I mean they, they were friends in the way there wasn't any, you know, um Tom foolery going on. Just right. made a little joke. Right. Um, so, uh, what what happened was um, he wrote "Stop Dragging My Heart Around" and didn't think it was good for Stevie because it wasn't like a Fleetwood Mac song. But she didn't want to sound like Fleetwood Mac. She wanted to sound like the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. So they had this great working chemistry. And um, and actually, they were very good friends for his whole life. And she became a really consistent kind of person in his life that wasn't part of his family. Yeah, of all the celebrity uh, tributes uh, when he passed away last year, uh, I remember hers the most because it was so... Sudden. Well, it was so heartfelt from her. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was like, it was like, you know, her her brother died yeah i guess that would be the best way to put it, it yeah was, she, you could really feel it coming through uh her tribute yeah so i yeah. could see that uh but uh yeah so they um yeah i know jimmy Iovine kind of plays a little game to kind of get the song done um and i i think didn't like uh tom went to dinner or something like that and she sang it and he came back and it's like oh 
I guess it's her song now. Oh, yeah, it was uh, later on. It was Don't Come Around Here No More that she was supposed to sing, and he did the scratch vocals for it when she went home. And um, and she came back and she went, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Oh, that's song. the story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, we can't we can't play them both, so I guess let's... We got to play the Stevie song, Stop Dragging My Heart yeah. Around. All right, let's play Stop Dragging My Heart Around. That sure sounds like a uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song there, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like their duet on this. Yeah. And, and his harmony. They, they, um, their voices work well together. Yeah. In a and weird, they're, they're in a in weird the same sort range, of way. actually. Because <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. kind of a low alto. Yeah. And he's a tenor. Yeah. And they, they really are similar range. And yeah, it's, it's cute. I like to think about their friendship. Um, so... Let's see. Meanwhile, meanwhile in our story, um, the bass player, Ron Blair, um, started having, you know, being kind of, uh, I don't know, he just started not working out in the band and he kind of half quit, half was fired. Well, I don't, I, Ron Blair didn't play on uh, the, the on the Stop Dragging My Heart Around either. So no. It was Donald Duck Dunn. Yeah. And and anyway, they got a, another really great bass player in 1983, Howie Epstein. Howie. Yeah. Right. He was a heartbreaker for a while. He um was a great bass player and also he could sing those high harmonies that Petty loved because he, you know, really liked the Everly Brothers and the Beatles and so he liked having those layers of harmonies in his music. And Howie was Del Shannon's touring bass player. At at the time, Tom was actually producing a Del Shannon record. Ah, I did not know. So this was the uh, the payment in full for yeah. producing uh, Del Shannon's uh, latest record. Huh? That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, of course, they're still whipping out albums here. They had to, you know, touring and then albums and then touring and then albums. Um, but the next album that they put out was called Long After Dark in mm-hmm. 1985. And that was a real rock and roll guitar record um, and started reflecting in his songwriting some of the disappointments of his marriage. You know, his wife was, you know, into the, in, you know, becoming kind of an addict and also eventually had some mental health issues. And so it was a, you know, it was a difficult marriage they had two daughters now um and so this song is kind of reflective of that period of his life and the one um called you got lucky 
got a lot of radio play and and, was the and first also of uh, on on some new mu- uh, uh, music uh, video channel. Yes, what yeah. was it called? Hmm. Uh, I don't the remember. one that Mike Nesmith uh, oh, came up with. We talked about that. That's yeah. right. Oh yeah, MTV. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, so so. Oh, that's that. right. This was the uh, the Mad Max video with the with the the motorcycles and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, the apocalyptic uh, vision of uh, of uh, uh, I guess Mr. Petty's life at the time, huh? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's play uh, a little of uh, "You Got Lucky." Synthesizers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very modern there, Tom. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, now they're MTV stars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you do now? So. Yeah, uh, they had to go back into the studio. Of course. But, you know, meantime, Tom, you know, you probably read about this in the music magazines at the time. He punched a wall um when they were recording i think refugee i'm not really sure and he had to have surgery on his hand um and you know this was just kind of like they were all starting to fall apart a little bit like mike campbell had to go to the hospital for exhaustion and ben montench was having trouble with drugs and alcohol and started in a recovery program um and the next album they did was called southern accents it was the same year, actually, that Long After Dark came out. So they were very busy. Um, and Tom's quote is, When I hear that album, I can taste cocaine in the back of my mouth. Long so, After Dark? Uh, no, Southern Accents. Oh, yeah. Cause that's, yeah. That, well, that's mid-80s. Mm-hmm. So, 1985. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in this one, you know, it started out as a concept album using Southern characters and kind of in a storytelling mode and um was it um dave stewart yeah dave stewart yeah becoming involved and Mm -hmm. and kind of even though he was a you know he's a great uh producer and everything and they started writing songs together it kind of detracted from the the theme of the album which was southern you know because dave stewart was writing not southern co-writing with him and there were He's a English. lot of yeah along of a lot of different producers on the album so there wasn't really a cohesiveness to it uh-huh. but i love the song when he sings um southern accents the song which i had only heard uh, um johnny cash sing on his album unchained which actually tom petty and some of his crew backed 
Johnny uh, Cash yes, up on yeah, that album, yeah. and mm-hmm. Johnny Cash sings Southern accents, and that's really special too. But they're they're done very you know pretty differently, and this is beautiful when Tom Petty sings this song. All right, so let's hear a little of Southern accents. Yeah, okay, so now that makes sense for the album, uh, Southern Accents, to play the song Southern Accents, which yeah. sounds Southern. Or it sounds, you know, Americana. It sounds like, right. you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff that uh, that uh, that uh, Tom and the gang grew up with and that. But then, you know, you have, as you were just saying, Dave Stewart comes in, who's not Southern. <laughs> right. And he brings a song, uh, you know, or works out a song like Don't Come Around Here No More, which sounds very different so uh, uh we, we we just have to play a little of that here okay yeah but you know the heartbreakers didn't want dave stewart reproducing this record because he used a drum machine yes he did that's My right God. well that was the mid 80s here yeah. you know drum machines were everywhere that's and right. uh you know he comes from the eurythmics yep uh so another um, new wave band. that's right yeah. that's right so let's hear don't come around here no more Yeah, that's a very different song for Tom Petty. Uh, the first thing that strikes me is the use of sitar, which kind of harkens to that uh, Beatles, uh, George Harrison sort of thing. And and I know we're at that point where that's going to start to arrive here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that this is the period when these players start to kind of fall into place. Um and he, for example, he, um, Bob Dylan and he shared a manager. And so um, they got kind of to be friends. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted, uh, Dylan wanted the Heartbreakers to back him at Farm Aid. And, oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Much and, better than, than the Grateful Dead backing Dylan, <laughs> I might add. But go on. That, go that on. was a, a funny combo. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he... He 
um, they decided to actually go on tour to back Dylan. Yes, and right. Stevie Nicks came along with uh, Tom's wife's approval to keep Tom kind of grounded because Jane was uh, starting to uh, kind of flip out a little bit and, and having some problems with her, uh, mental illness. And so she wanted Stevie to go with Tom and keep him kind of grounded. And, you know, it, it was interesting because as everyone who plays with Dylan, cause I remember talking about this when, in, with the Robbie Robertson book that it was difficult to back Dylan because you never knew what he was going to do. Like, Including yeah, playing, this. what yeah. key is he going to play uh, the song in? It's and always what? different every yeah. Yeah, every night. He really tries to do something different, right? And they 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 kind of complained about that, but um, <laughs> actually, it it benefited them as a band because it just made you them be, more you be on your toes. versatile. Yeah. yeah, he used the word uh, the phrase "fleet footed." Oh, yeah. uh, the author on your toes. Yeah, right, right. And then. Um, the uh, Warren Zane's band, the Del Fuegos, went on a tour with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Our author. Yes, our mm-hmm. author. And so that's how he knows him through, you know, just being in a band and playing in, on the similar circuit. But he remembers going to Tom's Christmas party that year and seeing George Harrison, Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty, and Mike Campbell in an office playing music together, and that Tom seemed as comfortable and happy as Zanes had ever seen him or ever would. And he realizes in retrospect that that was kind of the seeds of the, like the germination of yeah, the they should Yeah, maybe they should start group. a band. Yeah, that would be really <laughs> cool. What a great idea, Christian. I know. I, I come up with those every once in a while. <laughs> And then, it's too um, bad they never came up with the band. I oh, know. wait a minute. They did. They did come up with the band. That's yeah, right. Of course. But right but before that happened, um he um he got together with Jeff Lynn on a project. And he told after meeting Jeff Lynn, you know, at this Christmas party, Tom Petty told Jeff that he had a song that he couldn't quite finish. So Jeff came over and just figured something out right away. That song was You're So Bad. (laughs) He just like quickly wrapped it all up. And then Tom asked Jeff to produce that song. And the next day he came back over and they wrote Free Falling together. And Tom says it was very, very easy. He said, it was so removed from struggle. I hadn't felt that in some time. It was like I hadn't taken a deep breath, and I don't know how long. But I think you can hear me taking one in there. Yeah, let let me just say Jeff Lynne is one of those unsung geniuses, quiet uh, genius. I mean, just listen to what he did with ELO. Uh, and a lot of people may feel ELO is derivative. It's a very Beatlesque. It's like it's like where would the Beatles have gone if they'd stuck together? Uh, ELO, uh, you know, you you would think uh, with the, um, the 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 Sergeant Pepper type right. of era of Beatles, not a bad sort thing, of thing. Actually, it's not a bad thing. It's certainly not a bad thing to start. Right. But but again, this guy was a master in the studio. Yeah, uh, and he proved it over and over and over again. So um, uh, that's that's really great. So okay, yeah. let's, so let's play a little of "Free Fallen" by Tom Petty, produced by Jeff Lynne. Mm-hmm. 
she's a good girl Loves her mama, loves Jesus In America too She's a good girl She's crazy about Elvis Loves horses And her boyfriend too It's a long day Living in Reseda There's a freeway Running through Yep, yeah, you know, they recorded that at Tom, at a Mike Campbell's house and Mike was starting to think that Tom was kind of pulling away because he needed a break, he was exhausted. And well, Mike, it is from his, yeah. his solo album, right? Full Moon Fever, right? Yes, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, they did that... Um, that's what they that's what they worked on with uh, with Jeff Lynne and and Campbell said it was like going to musical college he was so impressed the way about the way Lynn showed them how to record very quickly you get a great idea you just lay it down you build tracks over it double and triple and quadruple the guitar and that was his style and they learned a lot from that i don't, I don't know if they did that on every album after that but but that was, you know, really impressive to both uh, Tom and Mike Campbell. Now, Mike Cam- even when Tom did his solo records, he usually brought Mike Campbell along because they were, you know, oh, a yeah. writing and, pair. Yeah, from the know? very beginning. Yeah. yeah. yeah he was, remember, he's, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, the uh, the one and only mud crutcher that sticks around to right. start with, you know. So. And, then, and, and also, um, Lynn was really, you know, really um, loved working on that album. He said later that was one of his favorite albums to, well, it was his favorite album he's ever worked on, and he's worked on a lot. So that's pretty impressive. Oh God, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is a, a great song, and you know, as a as an LA boy, uh, there's a there's a lot of references in that. Oh, song yeah. about LA, and yeah, it's uh, you know uh, maybe maybe I love LA is the official uh, song of Los Angeles, uh, the Randy Newman song, but it's a it's a close second, especially yeah. when you're feeling down. So, uh, but uh, all right, all right, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, and then you know, of course, that connection. Oh yeah, now so uh, now we have Dylan. Yep. Now we, we have Dylan, Jeff Lynn, and you so know, we're we're halfway there to uh, the traveling wheel. That's right. So he went <laughs> he went back to Tom went back to L.A. after he's done with the tour, and he bumped into Jeff Lynn and George Harrison in a restaurant in L.A. Yeah, and, I mean, and Lynn's been working with Harrison for a while. That kind of thing it, doesn't yeah. happen mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. long, and then George came over to. Tom's house and they just started playing music together and um, Olivia Harrison, George's wife Mm -hmm. said that they started spending a whole bunch of time together as couples and as a family, their kids played together and um, you know, for Tom it was kind of a a break, a break from the Heartbreakers because the Heartbreakers were becoming kind of uh, hard, you know, hard work. He was responsible for a lot of stuff. And then, you know, here comes George and he just wants to be a friend and play music. And, and it was, well, he's got all the money of, you know, more than God. So yeah. he can remember, uh, he, uh, funds the most expensive, um, uh, home movie ever made. Did you know that? No. What was that? Life of Brian. Oh Yeah. <laughs> 
He loved those guys. Yeah, yeah. Monty Python. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, the, you know, the, the, if you know the whole Beatles story with the goons and and uh, and then you know uh, George Martin uh, produced the goons. Uh, anyway, we could yeah, go on forever. Yeah, there's a lot but, of overlap but, but, there. Yeah, I, I I went off on a tangent here. Talk so about let's, let's feedback get, loops. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's get back to the traveling wilburys. <laughs> so. So anyway, they, they, you know, Tom and George became very good friends. And then, you know, George realized, you know, he just wanted to play music with people that he admired. And as, um, I can't remember who said this, but it was a web of admiration held the group together. Because, you know, Lynn and Petty were in awe of Harrison and Dylan, and Harrison was a big fan of Dylan's, and they all looked up to Roy Orbison, so they went and pulled Roy Orbison in somehow. And um, it was just, you know, a funny album and just lighthearted. And um, actually, oh, the traveling, way. Traveling Wilburys, yeah, Volume 1. Traveling... Yeah, it was just, just the chillest coolest super group ever yeah apparently yeah. that um handle with care which is really fun was one that uh george um actually wrote most of the songs they all wrote together you know they just came in and they collaborated and threw out lyrics and mm, had a great old time yeah. but this one kind of came this was the first one and uh he decided he wanted these guys to uh play on it with him and then they were like oh well that was really fun let's do some more yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, it was, um, and it's one of those songs where you just you gotta crack a smile. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. So, let's play a little of Handle with Care. Being beat up and battered around, being sent up and I'm being shot down. You're the best thing. Handle me with care Reputations changeable Situations terrible But baby you're adorable Handle me with care I'm so tired of being lonely I still have some Yeah, the interesting thing about that, um, when that album came out, uh, The Traveling Wilburys Volume 1, um, it the, at that, that year's Grammys, it was up against full, Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever as the best album. So they both, you know, they went head to head against each other in this competition, two albums that he was on. I believe the Traveling Wilburys won that year. Well, they had to give it yeah. to the Traveling Wilburys because I guess Roy, Roy Orbison had, had already passed. passed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he passed away in yeah. uh, December of 88. So uh, at the young age of 52, that's... Uh, that is very young. Sad, sad loss. I mean, uh, just beautiful uh voice and uh you know uh, i think we'd both agree that uh volume two <laughs> or three certainly... actually it was actually they called it volume oh that's three right for they did some reason. they did that's yeah. right that's right i just remember that they um they certainly were missing uh roy 
Yeah, I think the the author comments on that too. It was just um, actually people in that in that band uh, mm-hmm. commented that um, that there was some special magic, obviously, that he yeah. brought to it because it just wasn't the same when they did it again. Right. Yeah. So yeah, they um, the next album of Tom's uh, of the Heartbreakers was Into the Great Wide Open, and um, even though. Um, I believe Jeff Lynn produced that one too. It just wasn't as much fun as Full Moon Fever, and there because there were more people involved, and it just wasn't as simple. It doesn't come off as quickly, and actually, oh, the reintroduction of the band and trying to put that back together and all, right? That, yeah, and it yeah. didn't do real well either. Um, well, I don't but know. it's got a couple of great songs on it. Yes, and one of them is the title track. Uh, that is true. Into the great, Into wide, the great open. wide opens. Yeah. Uh yeah. That's um, it's one of those songs that uh, just gets better with time. Uh, yeah, it's so expensive. But yeah. That... It. Well, we're just gonna have to play it for everybody. Okay. <laughs> Here's into the gray wide open. And now I'd like to tell you the story of Eddie and his adventures in the great wide open. Well, the party atmosphere of the 80s is over here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The future was wide open. Um, you know, things begin to get dark in, in music. You know, we got the grunge movement that uh, has taken over. Uh, and uh, darker music uh, rules through the 90s. Uh, and um, I, I, I think uh, this song kind of reflects some of that uh, uh, very early on. Um, and... Uh, you know, maybe that's why it's still with us. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, yeah, the next uh, the next album they did was, or that Tom did, was called Wildflowers. And, you know, I, I haven't talked much about Stan Lynch, the drummer, but he and Tom uh, just had this kind of rift that kept growing wider and wider. And he and Mike Campbell had a big fight on this on one of their tours and Mike wasn't even speaking to Stan anymore. And, um, and so, and Tom decided he didn't want Stan to play on this next ref record. So he, that's for that reason, he decided to do it as a solo album. It's like, it's a little bit of a passive aggressive way to, you know, it's like, I don't want you on it. So I'm going to just not, I'm not going to have a a heartbreakers. uh, Yeah. So okay. so they had to get a, a a new drummer who actually, you know, eventually became the Heartbreakers new drummer who was Steve Ferrone, 
a yeah. an Englishman who started out as a tap dancer, which I think is very interesting. I mean, they they do go hand in toe, yeah, hand <laughs> hand in hand, <laughs> hand in foot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. yeah, and he had impeccable timing, I guess, mm-hmm. which Stan didn't um, have, and so Tom was was just kind of fell in love with that. Um, idea. So every everybody in the Heartbreakers plays on this, except for Stanley. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of a passive aggressive way to fire somebody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, this this album, Wildflowers. Um, Petty says afterwards that this was his divorce album, and the author kind of interestingly makes a a parallel between. Tom's marriage to Jane and to and his um, having Stan in the band because he knew both of them, you know, since he was a teenager and he stayed with them longer than he should have, both of them, because mm-hmm. he was so loyal and maybe, you know, the kind of person didn't like conflict. He just wanted to make things nice and have, I mean, I know all about that. You know, you're willing to put up with a lot of shit because you don't want to, you know, break it. You don't want to, you know, kick people out of your life and, and you know, cause, um, cause conflict. But Adria, his daughter, said when she heard that album, she knew the marriage was over. Wow. Yeah. So... And they they recorded that album for about two years. They were putting they were um, recording songs, and they had about thirty at the end of it. And they had to decide which ones were going to go on the album and which ones fit together the best. But wildflowers, a lovely wildflowers itself, I think, is a lovely song. And I know his daughter Anna Kim loves that song because I follow her on Instagram. And she seems like really sweet. She looks just like Tom. That's interesting. That's nice. Yeah. Well, let's play uh, uh, play Wildflowers. You got it. Okay. You belong among the wildflowers. Well, I always say that uh, if you can't play the song on acoustic guitar, it's probably not a very good song. <laughs> that's good, because that's all I know how to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think any song, yeah, you should be able to play the thing it's on true. The acoustic it's true. guitar. And if, and if it works on the acoustic guitar, it'll work in any arrangement. So, yeah, uh, but, I, um, I would agree with a, that. a very beautiful song. Yeah, it is. Um, it just... I don't know if he's writing that to his wife that, you know, you just need to be among the wildflowers. You can't be part of this world anymore or, you know, exactly the meaning behind that or who it's written for. But it is beautiful. Um, While they were 
making that um, album, they went into the studio to record some tracks for the Greatest Hits album. And uh, during this time, you know, Tom was trying to get out of his contract with MCA and he owed them one more record, but he really wanted to go move to Warner Brothers because he had already signed a contract with them. And um, so that was kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, he, okay. he was like two-timing oh. MCA. And um, so MCA that knew that he wouldn't stay with them and do this next album without a huge fight. And they saw what he was capable of with that whole uh, yeah, bankruptcy thing. Before, yeah, right, we're not, we right. don't want to really take Tom Petty on right now. Yeah. So he's, he, they agreed that he would record one last single that was a new single and they would put it on the Greatest Hits album. And that single turned out to be... Mary Jane's Last Dance, yeah, great which song. is an amazingly song. great yeah. song. He yeah. turned into a huge hit yeah. and made MCA a lot of money. Yeah. So they yeah. kind of did not too bad on losing Tom Petty, I yeah. would say. Produced by Rick Rubin. Uh, so a little bit of a change there from Jeff Lynn. Yes, apparently the Heartbreakers did not like uh, Rick Rubin. So, <laughs> And also that was Stan's very last that's right um, that is his last his last uh, foray into the heartbreakers yeah yeah and uh, that happened when they went they played at the bridge school benefit and they just it was a really bad performance and tom blamed it on stan and then heard stan talking behind his back to other people about him and they just you know finally uh, parted ways, but Stan Lynch was interviewed for this book, and so that's kind of interesting to get, you know, his side of it too. But he, what what he said um, to the author was that Tom wanted to go somewhere that I was incapable of going. So I thought that was a very mature way to look at it. Hmm. Yeah, and so they, um, they, you know, went to went on tour with that album and um you know and then and then tom uh did leave his wife and moved into a a little house awkwardly called the chicken shack in pacific palisades um and and that was just really hard for his daughters his his daughter anna kim was still a teenager and um and you know it kind of estranged him from his daughters for a little while but they you know worked their way back together um and then shortly after that he met his uh his wife uh his soon to be wife Dana York who actually started out as a fan which I'm kicking myself now. How does she get in there and do that? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! So <laughs> yes, don't forget, folks. She did write a letter to Tom Petty. I know. Of course, I was married at the time, so <laughs> that was a, a small stumbling block. Uh, but anyway, and so now we're going to listen to the song after I've talked so long. Let's listen to Mary Jane's Last Dance. Boys on an Indiana night 
Well, there there sort of is a drug reference in the song, so, you know, not surprised that he turned to heroin here. Oh, yeah. I know. It's, um, I never knew that. You know, even after he died, I never knew that that, that had, you know. But, Bit a thing, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, he what he said afterwards was that he didn't really, it's not so much that he didn't want to talk about it because he didn't want people to know you know, the shame of his addiction, but that he didn't want afterwards, he didn't want his fans to feel like, oh, well, Tom, you know, was on heroin, but he got off at it. So he got off it. So I could, maybe I could do that too. Right. You know, he didn't want it to seem like it was something that was easy. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah, So, you know, he, he did finally, you know, go into treatment with the help of his his uh, girlfriend Dana, and um, but in the meantime, while he was still really, um, you know, really going through a hard time, a lot of dark energy, they they started working on this album, the next album, which was Echo, um, in 1999, and. He was so depleted and down at the time, and he was working with Mike Campbell, who had to do most of the work. Um, Tom just really couldn't come up with lyrics and song ideas, so they put these magnetic letters um, from one of those poetry games, mm-hmm. and he would like throw them up on the music stand and just just to get some ideas. But you know, still came up with this great song, "Free Girl Now." which um which i i think is wonderful i i love it but you know one of the other things that was going on through uh, around that time was that Howie Epstein the bass player was also addicted to heroin but he was in a really bad way so um he couldn't even go on the tour for that album he was so sick so um but anyway the um free girl now let's play that Sure. Okay. okay. Let's do it. I like that one. <laughs> All right. This is from Echo, uh, uh, Free Girl Now, which uh, I believe was uh, one of the first MP3s that was released. Oh, as really? A single. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So back in the back in the day, back, back in, in the dark in ages, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The olden days. <laughs> <laughs> Free Girl Now. <laughs> that old Tom Petty you know he's got that voice where you shouldn't be able to understand what he says but yet you do yeah there's so much in there I don't know how he does that you know he just makes you want to listen to him like we said you know it's not like he had the greatest voice but he put so much 
into it. Oh, he's definitely know? one of the emotional singers. Oh, know, yeah. As opposed to a technical singer, definitely. But, you know, uh, it's just it's just weird. He's got kind of, it's like he should slur it, and it is, but it's not because you can understand what he's saying. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty Some well. Of, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you, we're getting down there, uh, Shelly. We're getting we're getting, getting close late. to the end, man. That's right. Uh, we're we're going to hopscotch over a couple of uh, an album or so. But um, one, one interesting uh, era was how... Uh, now we find out about how Warren Zanes got kind of um, pulled into writing this book. Of course, he didn't probably take much... Uh, much uh, arm twisting, but um, he had written this book called Dusty in Memphis, which was a, a tiny book in the 33 and a third series, uh, all about the album Dusty Springfield's, Dusty Springfield's album Dusty in Memphis. And, um, and Tom read that book and contacted Warren Zanes uh, to, go to, to go out to dinner and um and you know the interesting thing about that book is that it's all about the south like even though dusty springfield was english she was attracted to the south warren zanes was attracted to the south tom petty was from the south there's this whole mythology you know about the south that um warren zanes was digging into in this book and that was what tom was interested in and he told warren zanes that that book inspired him to write one of his songs on highway companion which is down south um based on kind of that that inspired him the book inspired him to write that song and he wanted warren to listen to it and surely that's the beginning of uh, kind of pulling him into writing this book about Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see, third uh, third solo album uh, here. Uh, although uh, again, Mike Campbell uh, is yeah, definitely he's always a part there. of it. Yeah, but uh, but actually, it's, it's Mike Campbell and Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty, and and that's it on this one. Um, all right. What do, what do you want to play on this? Oh, of oh, course. You want to play Down South. south. Of course. This yes, is about yes. the southern landscape and based on Tom Petty's background. Yeah, so from 2006, here's Down South. Headed back down south my daddy's mistress Gonna buy back her forgiveness Pay off every witness One more time down south Sell the family headstones Drag a bag of dry bones Make good all my back yeah, um, that was like you said. That was a solo record, also, and um, he told Warren Zanes that the solo records were to him they were really important to the life of the band because he could do that and then come back and um, have that influence what he did with the band and you know take a breather and um, 
you know, and come back to it. But but when Mike Campbell tried to do the same thing, it upset Tom because the funny thing was Mike Campbell was so integral to the sound of the Heartbreakers that what he did on a solo album sounded like the Heartbreakers. And Tom and the and eerily his voice is similar to Tom's also. So Tom was just like freaked out, like you're doing a, a record that's like the Heartbreakers, but I'm not on it. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. And and during this time also Howie Epstein was really going um, down south, let's just say, and um, well, yeah, he, yeah, he, he had they had away. to fire him, mm-hmm. and you know, people kind of got down on Tom for doing that because you know it's like how could you be disloyal like that? But it wasn't doing Howie any good to stay, you know, in the band and just get worse and worse and sicker and sicker, and he did eventually pass away. And they had a lovely um, memorial for him at McCabe's Guitar Shop in Santa Monica, which I remember mm-hmm. from living down there. So um, then, you know, in, in before that album, Tom worked with um, Bogdanovich on a film about the Heartbreakers. And that um, made him start to think about Mudcrutch again and become nostalgic. So he had this idea of getting them all back together. Of course, you know, many of them were already in the Heartbreakers. Um, so there was Mike Campbell and Ben Montench. <laughs> a few missing, right? Yeah, but then he brought back um, Randall Marsh and I guess Ron... Um, Blair. Blair was yeah. already with them too. And Tom Layden. Uh, so yeah. Tom Layden was so excited Bernie to get Ledden's, back. Bernie Layden's uh, brother. That's right. Mm, from the Eagles, or early Eagles. Yeah. Mm. And so they, they recorded live in the Heartbreakers Clubhouse and um, just just got, you know, and, and, and uh, just got great sounds and, you know, really clicked really um, instantly. And they cut one of the songs that they did in that recording studio was Crystal River. And they did it in one take. They were so in sync with each other. And when you listen to the song, it's really hard to believe that was a one take because it's so complex and and beautiful and there's so many different things going on in that song well they did do they did do two albums uh the first one 2008 the second one 2016 and you want to play from the first album yeah. 2008. and i gotta say i did the last time i saw tom petty in 2000 was in 2016 when they went on tour and i saw him at the paramount in oakland <sighs> well in uh, now, now you got me all choked up. Yeah, uh, I know. All right, so all right. Let's play Mud Crutch, which was the original Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, um, Crystal River.
He had such a, a, a good experience recording that album with Mudcrutch that the next two albums he did, they did the with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah, yeah. They recorded the same way in this the clubhouse, which is the Heartbreakers clubhouse. And they recorded Mojo, which is referred to as their blues album. And that was in, I think, 2010. And then the next album was Hypnotic Eye in 2014. And um, those were both nominated um, for Grammys. So, you know, he, he was pulling them out up until the end and, you know, just focused on keeping the Heartbreakers together and being in a great band. Um, and... You know, even though his his childhood was kind of fraught, was fraught with you know abuse of his by his father, and his marriage was rocky. Um, he always wanted to do good and be better, and music was the way that he made his life more livable and um, made my life more livable too. I would say a lot of people. Yeah, um, you know, it was. Uh... Uh, again, he carved out a, a kind of an interesting uh, corner of uh, the musical landscape for himself, yeah. and uh, I don't think anybody really inhabited that. Uh, and he had it all to himself uh, for you know forty years, so that was really nice. Uh, it's it's a shame. It is a, a, a complete and utter shame that he's no longer with us, and we know that um, you know. Uh, he's a tragic uh, consequence of uh, the o- opioid addiction that uh, uh, has ravaged this country uh, both high and low. Yeah, and um, it's a it's a, a sad situation. Um, you know, I mean, I think both he and Prince, um, you know, are, are direct correlations to that. Um, so yeah, both of whom had you know major physical difficulties that they were using pain medication for yeah and uh, but i was i was really heartened to learn um that before he died he really started slowing down a little bit and devoting more time to his family and um and you know this we're close to the anniversary the first anniversary is of his death and Mm. i i saw some lovely photos on anakim's um, Instagram page showing them, including her mother Jane, uh, at uh, the the dedication of the park in Gainesville, the Tom Petty Park in Gainesville, Florida, and um, you know that was really sweet. Um, he just became more of a family man, and um, you know hunkered down and spent more time. He had a granddaughter whose name was Everly. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He loved the Everly brothers. Who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I I really enjoyed this book and, um, you know, started reading Dusty in Memphis and maybe we'll do something about Dusty Springfield someday. Yeah. 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 The old English girl who wishes she was a Southern belle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, gosh, now I'm all sad. Uh, and, uh, but I, I'm going to play us out with something. You know, we just mentioned that Prince and Patty died the same year. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things I've ever seen was their version of While My Guitar Gently Oh, my God. Yeah. From uh, the Grammys. Um, and I'm going to play that out. Oh, my God. That was so amazing. Thank you. 
Hey Diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. The Rock and Roll Librarian, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Co-host, Shelley Sorensen. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 